All right, my friends, welcome back to another edition of the Build Show podcast. That's right, my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. I've got a little bit of a personal uh, episode today. We're going to be talking about risk management, steps to take now to contend with a possible housing slowdown and or recession. I've got some personal stories, uh, some some pain that I, that I went through, uh, including some pretty big business mistakes that I made. Uh, both professionally and personally. This is going to be a really good episode, guys. Uh, and if you haven't heard my story before, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things that you may not have seen me talk about before. Today's Build Show, all about risk management. Let's get going. All right, guys, before we jump into risk management today, I want to say a big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Builders First Source. Now, if you're not familiar with this company, they are freaking ginormous. They've got 500 locations around the U.S. Uh, and for me, I started, uh, gosh, 20 years ago with a company called BMC. Uh, and if you probably, if you don't know, BMC merged with Builders First Source, uh, gosh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago now. So we had two big companies to, to form an even bigger company. Uh, so I've been a client of, of theirs for almost 20 years now. I guess it's technically like 19 years. Uh, I buy all my lumber from those guys. I buy not every, but most of my window and door packages and almost all of my interior trim packages, including interior doors from Builders for a Source. Giant catalog and great, great people to deal with. If you're not currently a client of theirs, I'd highly recommend you reach out and find your lumber salesperson uh, for your specific area or your millwork salesperson or your window and door salesperson. Uh, and if they're in your town, they likely also have an amazing showroom. Uh, where I am here in Austin, Texas, they have the uh, BFS Design Center. That's really cool. I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff on display there. And it's a great place for me to take my customers to kind of show them the range of options and get a feel for selection. So with that being said, today's podcast sponsored by BFS. Let's jump in. All right, guys, risk management. This is an interesting topic. And honestly, when I when I wrote this topic down a few months ago, uh, I was thinking, you know, I don't know what 2023 is going to hold. There, there are certainly some economic indicators that we could be going into a recession. Here we are now a few months later. I'm, I'm recording this, uh, I guess, end of February here. And I'm not quite as worried as I was in September, October last year about what this year is going to hold for us. Uh, we've seen interest rates roll back sub six a little bit. And um, funny enough, I, I heard a great economist uh, at the BFS uh, national event with Zonda uh, recently talking about that, where they said, you know, when rates went up to seven, maybe even, I can't remember, did rates actually go up to eight? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. I think rates maybe even bumped close to eight, but now they're back to six or below six. It makes, it makes the kind of general buyer feel like, oh, rates are really not that bad after all. And if you look at historic rates, we're still way better than we've been in the past. I mean, uh, Tim Hill, who builds with me, uh, he's my VP of construction partner in the business. Tim remembers in the 80s when rates were at 13, 14, 15%. So we still look like at a bargain uh, at 6%. But, uh, you know, buying power certainly has changed. If you were looking at mortgages and rates when they were uh, 3.5%, 4%, uh, 
when rates are at 6%, you can afford less and your payment's going to be that much more. So it's, it's restricting overall markets. Now, I don't know where you are necessarily listening to this podcast, but I suspect that you're not necessarily first time home buyer, uh, you know, building houses in the, uh, you know, let's, let's say the lowest tier, the, the first time lowest cost in your marketplace. Uh, my suspicion is you're, you're doing more like middle America or upper America style housing. Uh, and if that's the case, I would say that sentiment among my peers that are doing, um, you know, middle, middle, upper or upper is that our lead flow has slowed through the fall, but picked up a little bit uh, towards the beginning of the year. And I would say, actually, what we're seeing is more of a normal market rather than the ridiculously frothy market that we had during COVID when everybody wanted to do things. So all that being said, I don't know that we're necessarily heading into a recession, but I don't but I also don't want to say that we're we're bullish. I think what we're going to end up seeing, this is my uh, my version of a crystal ball, is more of an evening out of the marketplace where we have kind of normal amounts of interest like what we had in uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, something like that. So for my builders that have been in business for a few years, you remember what that was like. Uh, we had normal business amounts. We had to scrap for every job. Uh, we had to convince people to spend the money no matter what the money was. And I think that's what what's going to happen with us uh, in this current marketplace. But let me rewind the clock a little bit and tell you a few stories um, that, about my past that I think have informed both my professional life and my personal life. Um, I started building in 1995. Uh, and in 95, the building climate was interesting because we'd just seen a pretty good recession in the earlier 90s when I was in college. Uh, and in fact, the builder that I started working for in 95 had uh, declared chapter 11 in 92. And so uh, when I started with them, one of my questions as a uh, uh, as an interviewee was, uh, you know, you guys just came out of chapter 11 two or three years ago. What are you doing differently today? And if I take a job with you, how can I know that I'm not going to face the same fate in a couple years when when business changed and uh the gentleman that i was interviewing with said you know we made a giant change during that recession coming into that recession that builder that i worked for uh had owned land and done land development and when they went chapter 11 when the economy changed and they got caught holding a ton of land holding the bag so to speak where you know i don't know what they paid but let's say $100 million in land inventory was suddenly worth $20 million. Uh, that's a pretty bad deal. You know, it's really hard to make money uh, on houses you build on land that you bought for a very high price. And now all of a sudden that land's not worth anything near that amount. And so it kind of, uh, it kind of set the stage for uh, working for that national builder for several years in that they were pretty risk averse. They were very uh, cost conscious. They were penny pinchers. I would tell you they didn't build a very great house, <laughs> but they sure managed their dollars really well. They were very focused on turning a dollar uh, every year. And in fact, um, you know, we were building houses in well under 90 days, calendar days, start to finish, because they realized, look, if we can build four houses over the course of a year, 
that same dollar that I'm going to utilize for construction could yield me four times its value if I'm building at a high rate. So what I learned from them was this kind of be risk adverse. Don't don't get over your skis. Don't take on more risk than you need to. Be quick on production because if we're fast, we can we can do better. We can make more money. Uh, and uh, probably some other lessons, but uh, I'll leave those in the table. Let's fast forward a few years. I started my company in 2005. I just moved to Austin, Texas. So here I'd worked for other builders for 10 years. Uh, I'm going on my own. I was excited about starting my own company. I didn't have a lot of business acumen. Uh, and I also um, moved to a brand new town where I hadn't built anything before. I didn't have a stable base of either subcontractors that I knew or prospects maybe that had built a house with me under another name or or uh, or, or even friends that might build with me that knew me because I'd been in that area. So I'm a brand new builder in Austin, Texas, uh, starting a brand new company. And I thought, well, how am I going to get business if no one's built with me? And, and I had this desire to build really detailed, very interesting custom homes. Uh, and so I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to hire an architect. I'm going to buy a lot in town uh, in a good neighborhood. And I'm going to go ahead and do a spec house. So my first speculative project uh, I did, I started in 2005. I finished it in 06, I guess. And uh, through that process of building and selling this spec house, I was very involved in the entire process, procuring land, hiring the architect, finding the entire trade base. I'm literally paying bills until midnight, you know, most nights and figuring out the back office and then getting up and meeting subs on the job at, at uh, 6.30 the next morning. Very time intensive. The, the thing that I started realizing was uh, as I was selling this house, I realized, you know, the market is not very tuned towards understanding the performance of new homes. The market is very tuned towards what's it look like and what are the metrics compared to the spreadsheet. I got to tell you, that was a little bit of a... Um, uh, that was a little bit of a setback for me. You know, I thought that other people would be just as interested in how well built the house was as, as I was. And what I found was that not many people cared about that. And this was, this was a little bit of a, uh, an early light bulb for me to go, Hmm, I don't know about this, this build it and then try and sell it market. This speculative thing. I'm a little worried about this. In the end, I found a buyer, this guy named Bill, Bill Giordani. Uh, Bill, if you're listening, you're amazing, and, and I'm sorry I've lost touch with you. He's moved now, and I don't think he lives in Texas anymore, but Bill was an amazing client, uh, bought the house from me, uh, and called it the SS Reisinger, and loved that it was well-built and was looking for a well-built house. Uh, you know, he, he absolutely appreciated all the craftsmanship and all the building science and the low blower door score and the good HVAC system and the metal ductwork and uh, the conditioned attic and all these things that I did that I thought the market would be interested in. And yet 95% of the people that came in there were not interested in that. I would also tell you at the time, this is a bit of a side note, it's not material to the story, but I was also calling myself a green builder um, because I thought that that was uh, a thing in the early 2000s. People really cared about green building 
And what I quickly realized was that green building uh, was great to talk about, but no one really cared enough to spend either much time on it or would pay two cents more for a house that was built with green building principles or products than a house that wasn't. Again, it was all about what did it look like? Does it meet my expectations for visuals? And what are the metrics? You know, what's the price per square foot compared to the other houses that I'm looking at? Uh, and does it meet these metrics? Uh, I think I ended up selling that house for around $40,000 in profit. So here I, you know, very expensive house, one point something million, 1.3 million, something like that. Put a lot of heart into that house, a lot of sweat equity, a lot of time for not a lot of money. You know, here we're talking about working for 18 months or more, maybe two years for $40,000. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit of a gut punch, like, wow, this is this is difficult. My second project that I built, um, very modern, definitely hit the, uh, the kind of looks, metrics that the marketplace was going for. Uh, pretty awesome local architect who is well regarded. Um, and then uh, the client that I sold it to ultimately during construction brought out on a fantastic California uh, interior designer, a woman named Anita Dawson. Uh, she's still in the marketplace. You can look up her on Instagram. She's killing it. Anita's design was amazing. That house sold really well. That house got on the AIA Homes Tour. And all of a sudden, I had people that were interested in maybe doing a custom home with me. And when I sold that house, though, the market was starting to change because of the big recession that was happening and, and starting in 07 and really continuing into 08. I sold it in 08. Uh, I barely got out of it breaking even. Uh, at the time, I had a business partner, a, a great guy named Alex, uh, who's still here in Austin locally. I can't remember. We made like $30,000 on the house, nothing. And we ended up splitting up our partnership at that point because we said, I, I don't know how we could possibly feed two families with these kinds of profits. You know, just not enough interest in the marketplace. I'd also started a third speculative house in a not as good neighborhood. Uh, and ultimately, this this story culminates with, uh, I'll fast forward here a little bit. The third spec house, I started in 07. Uh, the recession deepened. I had uh, plenty of subcontractors that were looking for work during that period of time, uh, knocking on my door and wanting to bid my work. But I still had this really uh, deep desire to do really high performance, uh, really good craftsmanship. It was a beautiful house. I was super thrilled with the way it turned out. But by the time I finished that house in 2009, I guess it was, I mean, the recession was full on. Housing prices in Austin had plummeted. There was nobody interested. Uh, and here I'd build a house for a little over a million dollars, hoping to sell it for 1.2. And in the end, it sat on the market for just shy of two years, me paying the interest payments every month for two years. And I sold it for $750,000. So I took a 250K bath plus all the interest payments that I made. I mean, we're talking about well over 300,000 in debt uh, that I owed back uh, from a house that I couldn't sell. And here are these lessons that I thought I learned early in my career about don't take on too much risk from that builder. I absolutely flew in the face of those because I felt like, well, a rising market's always going to rise, right? Uh, and so how could I go wrong uh, building in a great economy uh, and in a great town like Austin, Texas. 
So here I am. It's like 2011. I finally sell that house. I have a giant debt, 300K that I'm that I'm trying to pay off. Uh, um, I now have a couple of client jobs. I'm doing a few remodels uh, for some clients. I think I had, I'm trying to think when I, I only had remodels during that time. I don't think I had any new homes during that kind of recessionary time. Um, but it was, it was brutal. I'll tell you, my marriage was struggling. Uh, I was making not only no money, but I was paying money to not have my business go under. Uh, a lot of prayer, <laughs> a lot of uh, soul searching, uh, and honestly, just a lot of hard work and me realizing I have got to dig myself out of this hole. Um, it was during that time that I started um, really uh, figuring out my personal budgets, uh, getting on a personal budget, getting on a payment plan to try and pay off this debt. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, reading Dave Ramsey books. I started using a program that I still use today on my phone called YNAB, Y-N-A-B, uh, You Need a Budget. Um, and it was a very difficult time for me. Uh, if I could boil down the lessons learned from that, the biggest lessons that I learned were uh, be cautious with risk. Um, don't buy things that you can't afford, meaning, uh, you know, no one cares that you have a new pickup truck. Uh, drop your ego uh, when it comes to driving a new vehicle and drive something that you can pay for or that's paid off already. Uh, and ultimately, the biggest lesson that I learned during that time was when it comes to the houses that I wanted to build, which were uh, good craftsmanship and good performance, I needed to rearrange my business so that I wasn't doing anything speculative and everything I did was for a client who was willing to pay for that type of construction and was like-minded to me. Now, they didn't have to be 100% like-minded. And as a result today, I don't do everything to passive house standards, for instance, like I did at my house. But... I'm finding clients that uh, recognize and appreciate the type of company that I build, uh, that are looking for high integrity, that are looking for a builder who's going to be around, uh, that are looking for a builder that can do a really high quality house, a house that's not going to have problems. And frankly, if we do have an issue, we're going to stand behind that and we're going to take care of them. And that is a certain subset of the market, uh, I think, in every marketplace. But my biggest advice to you listening to this podcast would be be really cautious uh, in this marketplace, especially as things are a little bit nebulous about anything that you've got to put your money into uh, or investor money for that matter uh, that's in any way speculative. Uh, you know, after that deal, I totally changed um, uh, my business model. I haven't done a spec house since. Uh, 2007 when I started, started my last one. Uh, and I've been really cautious with my business not to take on debt that, um, that was unnecessary. So uh, 2015, I paid off uh, 300,000 in uh, both uh, loans from those houses that I, or from that house in particular that, that I owed back. I also had, I guess I didn't get into this, but I also had almost $50,000 in credit card debt that I'd run up. Uh, during that recession. And the feeling of weight off my shoulders when I paid those off was unbelievable. Uh, since then, I've never bought a car that I didn't pay cash for. Uh, I've never uh, made a credit card payment late. I've never run a uh, balance on my credit card. And 
maybe with one exception, I've never bought anything on for my business on credit. I've only paid cash for it. And those things mean that when I go into this time of uncertainty, I have a certain amount of certainty with me, knowing that I don't have, uh, you know, four company trucks that I'm making a payment on plus, you know, my car or my wife's car. Uh, I don't have uh, equipment that I have a lease on or that I have a payment on. Uh, it means that uh, I have a lot more flexibility in my life and a lot less stress because I've got clients that are paying me every month uh, rather than me making payments on a speculative project. And I'm wondering, can that project sell for X, Y, uh, or Z, or am I going to get caught with my shorts down? Uh, with the changing economy. So I think my biggest advice to you guys would be, uh, you know, be really cautious uh, about um, striking out on investments that require you to fork your personal cash, your personal nest egg. Yes, you can make money on those. There's no doubt about it. A lot of uh, builders and developers have made a lot of money in Austin over the over the last 10, 15 years. But you know what? I've grown my business with paying clients, clients that I've been able to see through the process, uh, through the ups and downs to ensure that they're happy and they have paid me for the good work that my company and my team has given them. And man, there is no better feeling uh, than knowing that really the only debt I have in my life currently uh, is just a little bit of mortgage that I need to finish paying off. Uh, other than that, I'm really debt free in my life, including my businesses. And boy, does that put me in a different position than it did uh, during those years when I had several hundred thousand dollars uh, in debt and payments in the, um, uh, you know, in the thousands of dollars a month just to service that debt. Uh, I can't remember the exact dollar figure, but I think I was paying somewhere around $7,500 a month. Uh, in debt for those four years uh, towards my uh, credit card bills and towards my uh, spec house uh, payment that I that I basically still owed the bank. Uh, and at the office, we kind of we kind of coined the term for that debt as Chuck, our employee that was terrible, but that we couldn't fire. And we finally fired Chuck in 2015. And man, that was a great day firing Chuck. I want to say it was uh, July of 2015 was the last payment we made uh, on that debt service. And I mean, think about your your business right now or your personal bank account. What if I told you I could put $7,500 a month additional into your bank account or stop making $7,500 worth of payments, uh, whether that's your mortgage payment, whether that's your truck payments, your uh, Bobcat, your whatever, that is a lot of money to uh, to think about on a monthly basis. So anyways, guys, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to riff with me. Uh, remember my old war stories and uh, get back into it. Sometimes I do feel like grandpa around here because uh, uh, at age 50, I'm definitely older than some of my colleagues and certainly older than some of you guys listening to the podcast. Um, but, you know, remember being students of the past means that we can gain that wisdom for the future. Uh, and a big part of what I do here on the podcast and on uh, my videos is feeling like, you know, I've done some dumb things. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes and I sure would have liked to have avo avoided those had I had that mentor, that smarter, older builder 
that would have invested in me. And so I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, uh, taking this advice from me and from uh, my colleagues out there sharing with you guys on a, frankly, a daily basis. I mean, that's that's what I love about BuildShareNetwork.com is that uh, we've got now 12 contributors shooting videos on their job sites, sharing with you wisdom, uh, both on the building science side, but also on the business side. Uh, you know, if, if you've seen any of the Breakthrough Academy videos, those guys on a weekly basis are sharing wisdom uh, about how to be smarter in your business, how to run your business more successfully. Uh, and also, I want to point out Brian Euler uh, from Pioneer Builders. Brian's done a bunch of great videos on the financial side of what he does in his business because he's really uh, an interesting builder in that he's running the uh, accounts payable, accounts receivable. Uh, he's doing all the budgets. He's doing all the bank financing. Uh, you know, he's got more wisdom than just uh, the nerdy side of, of uh, building science. He's a very, very smart financial builder uh, with a lot to learn from. So anyways, with that being said, guys, let's wrap up the podcast. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you got to your job sites, uh, your offices safe this morning on this 30-minute uh, uh, podcast here today. Uh, if you guys aren't currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button below. You know we've got new content here. Every Friday, we're on season three of the Build Show podcast. Follow us on TikTok or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Build Show podcast. Mm-hmm.